Welcome to episode 113 of the FLB podcast in Benton, Kentucky, back from California. I'm Jody White. I'm joined by, from Hopkins, Minnesota, Kyle Wood. It's good to have you back. It is all right to be back. Um, <laughs> I Frankly, I would still prefer to be in California. The weather is nicer there. The scenery is better there. Uh, but home is not there, at least at this point in time. So here I am back in Kentucky doing work. So mm-hmm. it is what it is. Well, it's nice of you to join us on a Friday. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of being a, being a, on a Friday, we're I was uh, I kind of forgot about the podcast last week because I was having so much fun uh, doing fishing related things. Um, Understandable. So we put it off, and then yesterday, Thursday, I flew back, and thankfully had a very easy travel day. Although I was not sure it was going to be so. Um, <laughs> And then uh, here we are uh, on a Friday afternoon. We are sort of gearing up for the Coast FLW Series Sam Rayburn weigh-in, which obviously will be awesome. Get to hear Ron Lapp and go to town. Um, and, uh, you know, we got a little uh, little fishing to talk. So I guess here's the basic outline. Uh, first up, very soon after this, I recorded an interview with Josh Weaver this morning. We had a fun time talking about uh, sort of his rookie year, a little bit about Weaver himself, uh, and of course a little bit about Hartwell too. So you got that to look forward to. Then we'll move into our topics. We'll uh, give the complete Shasta breakdown. We will uh, talk Sam Rayburn. We've never had the opportunity to talk about a Costa FLW Series event while the event has been happening before, so that'll be interesting. You'll possibly see some new things. Uh We'll, I would say mention that Circuit Breaker is happening. Uh, we'll do a little BFL rundown. We might uh, talk about Hartwell a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll do a little email action. And then Kyle and I will, I'm sure, banter and have the usual uh, post-show features. And uh, we'll be out of here. Sounds, Sounds good? good. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, that being said, here is Josh Weaver. And now we're joined by Josh Weaver uh, he's a rookie this year on tour, started out awesome at Okeechobee, finished in seventh place, made the top ten in his first FLW tour event as a pro. Josh, uh, I understand you're out on Hartwell right now. Uh, how you doing? It's It's been pretty tough on me up here at Hartwell. It's, uh, it's a lot, lot of difference between here and Okeechobee, so I'm just trying to get up here and kind of Figure, get a feel for the lake um this is my first time on the lake is by myself i fished here two years when well, we were here two years ago as a co-angler and struggled so i want, want some redemption up here so i'm trying to get as much pre-practice in as i can um took all the braid off and put put the eight pound line and the spinning rods on the deck and just kind of idling around looking for that magic brush pile or those the magic herring bite the Try to get me another top twenty here. All righty. Well, I guess taking it back even even before Hartwell and all that jazz, you've you uh 
You fished for two years, I believe, as I a co-angler. Two, two years as a co-angler. Um, made the cup both years. Uh, did pretty good in the cup last year. You finished eighth out of, Wa- yeah. out of Wachita. Um, last year, co-anglers were in the cup. And, right. I mean, you had a solid co-angler career. What, what was it a... What was it that made you decide now's the time for me to start fishing from the front and pursue this as a pro? Was it uh, doing well last year? Was it something else? Was it just part of your plan? Uh, honestly, starting out, it was kind of part of the plan. It was uh, me and my dad talked about it when I first started the co-angler deal. I was He was like, look, go, go at co-angler for two years and learn as much as you can. I learned an incredible amount as a co-angler during the two years that I did. So that's what I did. And then traveling last year with Jason Johnson and Cody Meyer, they just kind of both talked me into, they were like, man, you need to make the switch with a couple changes that happened this year on the co-angler side. So I decided to make the jump, and Florida's always been good to me, even as a a co-angler, and it continued to be good as good to me as a pro this year all right good deal what's your what's your fishing upbringing um i understand you're from georgia you i i honestly don't know what kinds of water bodies are around are around making like i i it i guess maybe some kind of reservoirs that are pretty shallow but i i don't really i don't really know so what do you feel like your strengths and weaknesses are what's uh What's you as a fisherman? We've got a couple lakes around where I'm from. Uh, lake Sinclair and Lake Oconee are the main two. And then we have a small little Georgia Power Lake that I actually grew up fishing on. And that's where I really learned how to fish. And it's, that's where I mainly learned how to grass fish. So that that's what... Uh, that's what we got around, around making. And then Sinclair and Oconee is just basically shallow muddy water um so i i, I grew, grow grew up fishing shallow water um bank fishermen that's all i ever was so I, i'm trying to expand my horizons um learning as I, as much as i can i learned a, quite a bit as a co-angler and then um continue learning now but i probably would say my my favorite lake to go to if i if i have a chance is Seminole it's only about two and a half hours away and I love Florida fishing and sets up Seminole sets up perfect for how I like to fish I, I grew up fishing there that was one of my dad's favorite favorite lakes to fish so we go to Seminole quite a few times a year and then again totally switching gears we go to Lanier quite a few times a year we like to go up there and toss the jig around and spook around and catch big spots during the right time of year so I it I I've, I've kind of had a versatile upbringing, but I'd say ma- majority shallow water fisherman. Is your dad the guy who got you into fishing? My dad is the guy that got me into fishing. He he, my brother actually, kind of. My brother won two state championships and went to nationals and uh in the youth division for the TBF, and uh, he was the big fisherman in the family, and I was the big hunter. And, uh, so my, I would always go with my dad and my brother and we'd always every weekend, just about if we weren't deer hunting or if it wasn't hunting season, we were fishing. 
So I, it kind of totally changed gears. I was the big hunter, and he was the big fisherman, and he just got to a point, I don't know what happened. He he stopped fishing tournaments, and he started uh, he started hunting more, than, and then I started fishing more, and then I got into the tournament fishing. And so he's still... He's still, he's getting fired back up about it now that I've started doing good. Me and him will fish a couple tournaments a year. So he, uh, but my dad was the main one that got me and him fishing. He all, or just in the outdoors in general. I mean, ever since I can remember, we were, we were going up to Juliet or going up to Sinclair. And there's actually a picture of my dad's office of me and my brother when we were, I mean, I was probably six and he was three. We're sitting in the boat fishing. Um, so I, I've been fishing as long as I can remember. Me and my dad and my brother have always been going together. That's pretty cool. I like it. Um, what did, so you fished as a co-angler and you said you learned a lot. Are there any are there any big takeaways or from that that you thought were maybe some of your more important lessons? Because I imagine a lot of the stuff you pick up is just is small things that you file away in your brain you know i'm going to remember that or you see a particular technique or something what are some of the, what's some of the big stuff you picked up well like i said i, I was uh, growing up i was priority a majority uh shallow water fisherman so first year on the tour was basically the same schedule as this year and we started out at, at okeechobee and then we went to hartwell and then we uh beaver but then we went to kentucky lake and pickwick and so I was really looking forward to learning how to do that whole deal. Um, and so I, I really learned a bunch my first year about deep, deep ledge fishing and fishing. Hartwell wasn't as much as, uh, offshore as, as, uh, Kentucky Lake and Pickwick was. Um, but then just learning techniques at all these different lakes, like I never would have never throwing a one-ounce swim bait on, on down a ledge. And I'd always seen all these guys doing it, and it looked so much fun. And I didn't know what to look for or anything, and spending a whole practice tournament, pre, pre, or practice before the tournament um, with Micah Frazier, he taught me so much about ledge fishing and, at Pickwick and Kentucky Lake. I mean, it just 200 times and I, more than I already knew. And so he got me fired up on that. And after uh, I, I did good at Kentucky Lake, um, got a check at Pickwick. So I, I, I kind of fell in love with the ledge fishing game. And then just traveling with Jason Johnson and Cody, just learning the drop shot deal from them, you just learn, you, you go from having a very small uh, view of baits that you throw always and you think that well this is all i never need to throw and then you go out and learn from all these guys at least two guys each tournament and you just you learn what their their favorite techniques are and you can take that back and you'd be like well let's go over here and fish this and instead of throwing what i always throw i'm gonna throw what this guy was throwing and you just you just learn so much and in, in return, it helps you catch a lot more fish. I look back on so many tournaments that I used to fish. I'm like, man, if I'd have just known now what I knew, uh, known then what I know now, it would have been a totally different outcome. Um, but I tell, I tell everybody, if you're, if you have 
any wanting to become a professional fisherman, uh, co-angling is definitely the deal to do it. A lot of times you're going to draw out with the guys. It's tough to fish behind, but you're, I mean, I, I didn't go into the tournament. Obviously, I did go into the tournament hoping to win, but my main out, out, uh, my main overview of it was just going in and trying to learn as much as I could because the, the end result was always for me to become a pro. So I was just wanting to pick up from a little thing here and there from the guys that I, that I'd always looked up to and watched on TV. So that was, that was a dream come true to fish, fish with a lot of guys that I got to fish with and then to learn some of the techniques that, that they do and put that into my own arsenal. That was pretty cool. All right. Well, last year you finished 22nd in the Southeastern Division of the FLW Series, uh, fishing as a pro, which that ser- that particular division is stacked. So, I mean, that's a that's a significant accomplishment. Um, obviously, you got off to your, you know, great start on tour. What what are your expectations or what are your goals for this season? Oh, well, I mean, I'm obviously setting my goals pretty high for the year, especially um, riding this house the first tournament. I mean, my goals coming through the year was obviously to win rookie, wanting to win rookie of the year and wanting to make it to the cup my first year. So, I mean, those goals are pretty high, but I, I mean, I could, I see that, that being doable, I hope. Uh, so I just got to keep my, keep my head down and, Fish how fine fish how I like to fish on these certain lakes and just not not get spun out about not catching fish and just got to keep my head down and fish on a lot of these lakes that I've never been to because Okeechobee was the only lake that I'd ever been to uh, being a boater in a tournament so it uh it definitely changes things but. Hopefully, I, hopefully the goals for the year are to win Rookie of the Year and to make the Cup my first year. Well, I think those are pretty solid goals. I mean, I think that's that's probably should be what the goals are for every rookie, I would say. Because if you win Rookie of the Year, you're almost certainly going to make the Cup. And if you make the Cup, you're probably going to be in the hunt for Rookie of the Year. So I think, that, right. I think that's the way to go. Do you have a particular tournament uh, on the rest of this way that you feel like sets up best for you hmm not really i felt like okeechobee set up the best for me just because like i said uh seminole is one of my favorite lakes to fish and it okeechobee is different uh, extremely different but similar in a lot of ways so I, I i the whole year i was looking forward to okeechobee the most i am looking forward to kentucky lake and pickwick just because i i have some uh, I did good as a co-angler there, and I kind of know what to look for. So I, I'm excited about those two places. But when it comes to Beaver and Champlain, and this place is this place is a different story because it's close enough to home that I can. I've been coming up here trying to find a trying to find them. So I'm not as worried about this place as I would be say Beaver or Champlain. But I, I feel like. Um, Kentucky Lake and Pickwick are going to set up to be extremely fun tournaments like they always do. Um, so I, I'm looking forward to those for sure. All right. Uh, as far as Hartwell goes, I mean, it, you're not amazingly – I guess you're not amazingly confident about it. You're not like, oh, yeah, this one I got. But you've got some – you've got probably more knowledge about it 
it sounds like than a lot of these other lakes what what is your has your prefish is there anything that you can reveal from your practice thus far because i mean we're still a month out from the tournament what kinds of stuff are you what are you doing in practice what's what's most of your looking around consist of well, I mean, during practice, I've been looking around for all these brush piles and the herring bite early in the morning. So the herring bite's going on pretty strong right now. The deep, the south end, is, the bite's pretty decent. Um, it's just totally going to change. So I, I've been mainly looking, not so much catching fish, but looking to where I think the fish are moving to. Say you're catching fish at the mouth of this pocket or this creek, well, you gotta you gotta go to the back of the creek or the pocket and try to figure out where you think those fish are going to be moving to. So when you come back up here for official practice, you know you're not just running like you would be during pre-practice. You're you're going and looking where you you knew you caught fish out here and you think they're going to be moving to the back of this pocket. So you go back there and look, and if they're there, they're there. But if they're not, you got a bunch of other creeks and pockets or what whatever you whatever you found in pre-practice where you think they're going to be moving to, you have all those to go check. So that's mainly what I've been kind of been looking for, um, along with brush piles. But I think it's going to change. Obviously, it's going to change tremendously from right now to to uh, from here to March. So just, just kind of really trying to get confidence on the lake, just try to catch some fish, know that I can catch fish on this place and just get, get confidence on it. Is the, is the main key that I'm trying to... I told my dad when I came up here this weekend, I said, I don't care what I do to catch them. I just want to go catch a bunch of fish. I don't care how big they are. I just want to know that I ca- I've caught a bunch of fish there and so I can come up here and just calm down, and that's kind of a stress relief. That You know you've caught fish here in the past. You haven't come up here and just idled around looking for fish. You know you, know you can catch them here, so that's a that's what I. That's what the main goal is was for this week and weekend to just come up here and catch fish. It's been pretty tough, but I found a few, few here and there. So it, it's a, uh, it's calmed me down a little bit. All right, I think that's an interesting goal to go to go in to the tournament, sort of trying, going to practice, kind of trying to get your confidence up, because a lot of people, I mean, when they go to pre-practice, they really do just idle around and. They almost don't, not that they don't want to catch fish, but, you know, catching fish can sort of distract a little bit or put your mind in the past more than it should be. And I think that's interesting that you're actually kind of wanting to catch them. That's a, I, I like that bend. Yeah, and, uh, for me, David Dudley, he, he's, uh, he's the best. He, he always, he, he, uh, if he goes practicing, he's going to catch them. Um, I learned a lot from him when I fished with him last year, Chickamauga. He's a super nice guy. He, uh, yeah, he, I, I, I mean, obviously during official practice, it's going to be totally different. Going to cut the hooks off or what, what have you for practice. But this far out, I mean, I'm setting hook on everything, trying to catch as many as I can. And if I think, if I go over a brush pile and there's a bunch of fish down there, I'm not just going to mark it and be like, oh, yeah, that's a good one. I'm going to try to catch some fish out of it just so I can I can be like, well, I know they were here at one point in time if I if I come back and try to catch them. Um, so that that's my that's my take on pre-practice. So come Hartwell, are you, are you expecting a sort of pure pre-spawn tournament or 
I mean, we've had some kind of weird weather. Is is this something where you think fish could be getting up on beds? What what do you what are your expectations for it? Um, I think you you're going to be able to catch fish out in 30, 35, 40 foot if you want to, and you're going to be able to catch fish that you by by the by the weekend you're going to be able. I think you're going to be able to see it, some fish trying. Depending on the weather, if it stays warm like it has been, trying to pull up on bed, um, that's just my personal opinion. Um, but there are already a bunch of fish moved up. There, I mean, the mornings have a lot, been a lot colder this week, this week, end of the week and weekend, um, than it was last weekend. So I, I haven't really, I don't know if the fish that are shallow or there's still more coming right now or, if they're holding back out, but there's definitely a, a wave of fish that's shallow right now. Um, but there's there's a lot more that are still deep. So I think uh I think it could the guy that does good and there's gonna be a lot of top tens I think or there's gonna be excuse me, a lot of checks made shallow, but I think the guy that wins is gonna have to have a deep bite uh, alongside the shallow bite. Um so it's it's gonna be it's going to be a fun tournament. Um, granted, deep fishing is not my not my go-to, but that's that's what I've been trying to trying to find. Just because I know that the guy that does it probably end up winning the tournament is going to have to have a a good bit of fish found deep too. So that's what I've been trying to keep my practice set on is trying to find fish deep. It's just so hard for me. To, try to fish deep when I know that I can or I hope that I can go to the bank and catch fish so I'll, I always tend to stray from my from my pattern going into the into the day and I always end up shallow by the end of the day but it uh the, the deep fish are are going to play a key factor I think uh I don't think there'll be as many largemouth deep as there are spots so but there are definitely some good spots in here and I think spots are going to play a key, excuse me, play a key role in this in this this year's tournament. All right, what uh, what's the water level looking like looking like there right now? Um, it looks like roughly I don't I haven't looked at what the actual depth is, but it looks like it's about a foot foot and a half low. Um, so a lot better than what it was here two years ago when we came up. If I remember right, I think it was about seven foot seven foot low then um so it, it it's a lot better than it was and it but it's it's not quite in the bushes so you're when uh if the fish do start pulling up you're you're not gonna be able to catch them around the bushes so that's kind of what i've been looking for was all these pockets that you can find bushes in if there were fish pulling up so you know where to go look and see if you think they are going to pull up, you can run, run in here and look and see if there are any around any of the bushes trying to make beds or just cruising. So, But it's it's about a foot and a half low as right. of right now. Good deal. Um, I guess one other question I've got for you is uh, more on the, maybe outside of the actual fishing type stuff, but you seem to have started the year or started your rookie year with pretty impressive sponsor support. Um, you had a, after your top 10 at Okeechobee, I mean, uh, Renfro put up a, which is like your, 
I guess your title sponsor, uh, there was a billboard right. with you on it. Um, and you've got, you've got a full boat wrap and you're, uh, you seem pretty dialed in on, on that side of the game. Is there anything that has helped you on that or is there, uh, any reason behind that? I've just been extremely blessed to be, to be partner with these great group of guys that I'm with. Um, Renfro is a, a, a very good family friend. Um, his son is one of my brother's best friends. And I've just grown up knowing him. And he, uh, Renfro Outdoor Advertising is a billboard company. And then they also have a construction company and a tree farm. And so they're, they were, they're my uh, title sponsor this year. Um, and then the trading post moving in storage, um, Slash, we also have another company, American International Movers. Um, that's our family business. Um, we're we're predominantly in the southeast, but we do do um, over the country moves and stuff like that. We do a lot of military moves. And then uh, Cherokee Brick is, a, is another really good friend uh, that we used to fish in our our club that I was in back home. So all these guys that have helped me out. They they saw how how I used to fish back home, and they they just they like me as a as a as a person, and they they have really come through and helped me out, and I've been extremely blessed to to partner with the guys that I'm with, and for them to take a chance on me, at giving me the money that they've given me, um, especially it being my rookie year. So it uh it's definitely a blessing to have the sponsors that I have. Well, that's pretty great that it's worked out like that for you. I mean, not many guys can say that, and it seems like it seems like based on the first tournament, anyhow, uh, these uh, these people and companies have made a pretty good bet. Um, I guess uh, before I let you go, is there any other, where can people follow you on on the internet, or do you have any places that you'd like people to follow you at? Yeah, my Instagram page is uh, Joshua Weaver Fishing. Um, I normally put up a couple pictures a week just about where I'm at or like if I'm traveling up here or just general stuff like that. Or if, um, I put also, I put a lot of pictures up of hunting stuff because that's what I do back home. I'm a land manager, so I'm always outside, um, whether it be hunting or fishing or doing something. Um, so I'm, I'm always pretty pretty good at keeping keeping up on uh facebook and instagram and then my facebook account is just joshua weaver right now um working on a working on a fishing page but it's not up right now it's not up quite yet um should be up before hartwell i would hope um so but right now just joshua weaver fishing on instagram and joshua weaver on facebook sounds like a plan i don't Curiosity, what does being a land manager involve? Because I'm, I've never heard of, I haven't, I have some idea after what you said what the job is, but I'd never heard of it before. Well, mainly all I do is, uh, my, my boss, he owns a steel fabrication company, and then his brother is a, is a doctor, and I work for both of them, um, just keeping their, keeping grass, their grass cut, and planting food plots, and checking deer stands, checking trail cameras, keeping keeping feeders full and just mainly keep, keeping up where with the animal movements and what's going on at different tracts of property and keeping everything cleaned up and up to par. Um, that's my, that's really all I do is 
always on a tractor cutting grass or bush hogging or hairing up something or planting. Um, so I'm always, always outside. Cool. Well, you must have uh, really dialed in the sun protection then if you spend that much time outside and look the way you look because you have, uh, you, I mean, there are a lot of guys with like some really impressive sunglasses, tans, and who you can tell have spent hours and hours and hours out on the water and you don't, uh, you don't, you don't, you don't pull that off. You, you've got something figured out there, which is probably smart for a long term. <laughs> yeah. My, uh, me, with me being fair skinned, and my dad, my dad has had some skin cancer. He, uh, he, he stays on me about keeping sunscreen on. And I hate wearing sunscreen, so I'm always trying to wear either long sleeve shirts or keep my buff on. And, um, uh, I, I can't, I do work on a pretty good sunglass tan, but I keep it, keep my buff up around my nose. So it, uh, normally all you can see is my coon eyes and everybody around my hometown is like, Man, look, what's going on with your eyes? And, and I'm like, you haven't been around me in a while, man, because I'm always, I always got them. They'll come up to me in the wintertime and be like, man, where are you getting sun at in the wintertime? I'll be like, well, when you're outside, the sun's out even in the wintertime. You don't just get sunburned in the summertime. So. I like it. Well, uh, Josh, thanks a bunch for uh, coming on. Uh, best of luck out there at Hartwell. I hope you, hope you, found, I hope you find the mother load here. And that they happen to also stick around for the next uh, next several weeks because we're still a ways out from uh, sort of middle slash end of March and the FLW tour kicking back into gear. But thanks for taking the time and congrats on the great start to your rookie year. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jody. All right. So, Kyle, uh, the uh, first topic we've got here, actual solid hard topic, um, is Shasta Lake, the... Uh, Costa FLW Series Western Division opened up out there, and Greg Gutierrez picked up the win. Um, he caught 11-5 the first day, 15-13 the second day, 13-5 on the third day. Uh, had a total of 40 pounds, 7 ounces, uh, basically 5 pounds better than second place. He really, it didn't really look like he was going to blow the tournament out, uh, but he ended up doing so mostly slash entirely uh with extreme finesse which was mm-hmm. pretty cool to see yeah yeah definitely um i guess the rest of the top 10 or some highlights from the rest of the top 10 richard dobbins finished second he caught 16 on the first day ken phillips finished third joey Uribe made his fourth western division top 10 in a row finished fourth bryant smith made his second western division top 10 in a row uh Caught 16 the first day, or no, he didn't. He caught a seven pounder the first day. Um, which dude, Hog. seven pound spot, you got to see one in person sometime. It is, I want I to, I mean, whoa, I was, I was freaking out. It was awesome. <laughs> um, and there's your top five. And Jeff, Jeff Michaels finished sixth, who we always expect to do well out there, and of course, crushed it. Um, and I mean, that's. I'm trying to think the rest of the, like the story out there was kind of the weather to me. Yeah, to I was gonna extent. say I felt like from from the outside perspective, uh, I definitely got to feel like weather was a big deal. It it was because the first day the weather was uh, really bad. Uh, it was, well, pretty bad. It was windy, but not ex- It was windy, but it was not so windy that it, parts of the lake became unfishable. Um, 
and it was rainy, but it wasn't really pouring rain. It was just rain, uh, and it was also very quite cold. But it got kind of nice by the end of the day, and then it kind of got crappy again. And okay. So the first day, they were coming off an extended period of really nice warm weather, and the fish bit on the first day, like, really well. I mean, you saw a lot of good weights on day one. Um, you know, tons of people in the double digits. Uh, a lot of reaction bite action happened. I mean, pretty much, Richard Dobbins led day one, and he was throwing, like, which, side note, reaction bite? It seems to be kind of a particularly Western thing that people say, oh, I was fishing reaction baits. I feel like back east, we tend to say just moving baits more. So when I say reaction yeah. baits, what I mean is like a jerk bait or basically anything that moves as opposed to something you drag. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, that aside. So Richard Dobbins kind of split the difference. He fished some finesse stuff and some, uh, some reaction baits on day one. But pretty much everyone else in the top ten was... Uh, they were they were cranking or winding or jerking or doing something to move a bait on day one. And then on day two, that really swapped up. And obviously, Greg Gutierrez had a big bag, kept it going. Mm-hmm. And day two, the weather was horrible. It was wicked windy. Uh, it was cold. It poured. Um... And then it got, and then at the end of the day, it got really post frontal, and that post frontal action hung over big time into day into day three. And for whatever reason, on day two, not only was it that guys couldn't fish a lot of the areas where they wanted to fish the reaction bait, but also they just got the fish just kind of shut down from chasing stuff. Mm. And that's when the finesse really took over and continued uh, to be a big player into the weekend. Makes so, sense. Yeah. I've never... Day two, the morning of, I've never been in a combination... I've been in higher winds and heavier rain, but I've never had a combination of wind and rain greater than that. It was... I mean, it was coming sideways. It was raining hard, and it just did it for so long. Mm-hmm. It kept raining. It wasn't like a thunderstorm that passed. Ugh, gosh. It was also really I- cold. I got to tell you, I, I talked to Cody Meyer the other day, and uh, he told me that that second day was probably the worst conditions he's ever fished in in his fishing career. Everyone everyone said that. It was, <laughs> it was brutal. And, like, somehow DW and I survived. Um, somehow the camera equipment is all still functioning. I have hey, no idea good. how. <laughs> Um, but we're back and you did it. Yeah. And Greg Gutierrez, I mean, credit to him. He had an awesome tournament. I mean, he, he grew up on that lake that he said, you know, that that lake has molded him as much as, as much as he has become a very good finesse fisherman. That lake has made him a very good finesse fisherman. It's kind of his style is in large part because that's where he grew up. And so that was inter- that was interesting. It was cool to see him get a win. He kept calling it his first FLW win, which actually he's won a BFL with us. But he, a lot of people out west, they call FLW. They just it's like, oh, I'm going going to fish the FLW, and they mean 
FLW series or coast right. FLW series. So anyhow, that was uh, it was cool to see him get the win. He's a super nice guy. Uh, I didn't know he was a. I didn't know he used to fish the elite series until like basically midway through this event when I found out. Um, but he's a cool dude. I'm I'm definitely looking forward to uh, well just continuing to. I feel I know him a little bit now, and I'm looking forward to continuing to know him because he seems like an awesome guy to know. Sure. Yeah. Um, also, if you want some shaky heads, I got some. Hey. Um, but you don't want shaky heads, right? I mean, shaky heads. Come on, they may win tournaments, but yeah, no, I don't. Gosh, I don't it's a shaky that. head, right? Um, yeah, yeah, that's um, exactly how I feel. Yeah, and I guess on the tournament winning note, I never really talked too much about his pattern. He did two things. He did one. He fished. Uh, he fished a lot of points that had seams between uh, just clay and rock, or rock and gravel, or clay and gravel. Uh, and he could tell where these seams are because he's fished there so long, and he knows like which directions they go down into the water and all that deal. And he would fish like right along the lines, basically, or a little to each side. And he always fished the lee side of the points where. The fish were more sheltered and down out of the wind, and he would catch the fish. He would usually put his boat in, like, I guess 30 to 40 feet of water and cast up, and a lot of times he would catch fish, and I observed this on the sec- on the final day when I watched him. He would catch fish where he had worked his shaggy head all the way up from 10 feet off the bank to almost right below his boat. Wow. Um, so he was doing that, and he was doing it very effectively, With and... Um, with a shaky head, and he was also using a little uh, little darter head with a little worm, and doing a super finesse technique for suspended spotted bass around the bridges, uh, which he called the Nate Shake. Uh, apparently, a guy cool. near around Oroville developed it. It's uh, he's using like ultra whippy rod, and just flicking it out there, and he kind of he basically like floats the bait through the uh, through the fish that he marks on his sonar and just very mm. gradually gets it to pop its way down and then sort of slide slide through him and he's mo- just shaking it very slightly the whole way and that was really a neat thing to observe and uh, he didn't want to go into too too much detail about it so maybe I have already talked more than he would like me to talk about it but I'm very glad I got to watch him the final day because I learned some things about how to fish bridges and he certainly it wasn't like his primary pattern but his ability to catch a few fish off bridges and a few good fish off bridges Mm -hmm. i don't know that it was i don't know that he couldn't have won the tournament without them but they absolutely made the difference between this thing being a nail biter and him actually kind of blowing it out for sure so that was cool any other oh also I guess we should go over the, uh, here's the thing. We're going with Costa Challenge because that's what I've got on this document. So that's what it's going to be. Costa Challenge. Cool. Yeah. Um, I just wrote meh for me and good Lord for you because you got all three dudes <laughs> in the top 10 and it was an incredible, uh, incredible way to go. And you staked yourself to a two nothing lead early in the season yeah you know uh i mean it was just one of them deals you know i was kind of dialed in on a few guys that i didn't know how's he's gonna come out but 
you know, it all worked out all right in the end, and you know, here we are, two nothing. Uh, you know, a lot of season left though. You know, I got a got a great competitor here with Jody, and uh, I mean, it's going to be a good run. All right. Well, thank you very much, Randy. Um, it's a pleasure <laughs> to have you on the show here, and obviously a, a very good team you picked there. I headed up by Jeff Michaels, Joey Rebe, and Roy Hawk. Um, on the college fishing side, the Western Conference had their first tournament of the year on Shasta on Saturday while the top 10 pros were out in the water. And uh, Alec Pitts and Nick Renaro of, uh, San, of uh, Cal Poly picked up the win. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had 12 pounds, 3 ounces, which is like pretty darn stout when you consider that on the final day, only one pro caught more than 12 pounds, 3 ounces. Yeah, that's so, pretty good. Like, pretty impressive. These guys had much <laughs> less time to fish than the pros did, even though there's two of them. Uh, I was kind of wowed. And they didn't really go into too much detail about how they caught their fish, except they were able to find some clearer water. Um, and they were using a little bit bigger baits. Uh, so, certainly a, a good win for them. It was, I think, the, both their first college tournament, although they had plenty of... They had plenty of history fishing, not together necessarily, but fishing with FLW and TBF earlier in their high school careers. Um, ah, okay. So they uh, they got that done, and of course they and another the another nine teams are uh, headed off to the uh, twenty seventeen college fishing national championship. Yeah. So we got that going. Which, speaking of college fishing national championships, I think next week should be our national championship preview episode. As you know, it's going to be on Kiwi at the same time as the FLW Tour event in Hartwell. We need to start talking about that. I think next week is I'm a cool good time it. to uh, start getting some college guys on the show. Yeah, I'm, I'm cool with it. I'm actually working on a, uh, a college championship kind of preview thing, so that'll be good. All right. I like it. Um, have we covered everything we can possibly cover at Shasta? I think so. All right. I that's good. I feel accomplished now. Mm-hmm. Do you want to lead the discussion for uh, Sam Rayburn here? Because I am discussed out for the moment. <laughs> yeah, uh, I can. It uh, like you stated earlier, it's kind of cool because uh, currently the Rayburn event is going on. So here we are, almost through day two, and uh, yeah, we got us the first Southwestern Division event going on on. Uh, Hog Factory, Sam Rayburn, and uh, I guess, I guess to start, I might as well we can run down day one action, right? Like that makes sense. I doesn't say, it? I say, why not? If look, if yeah. we were, uh, if if this was a baseball podcast and Game One of the World Series had just happened and Game Two was getting ready to start, we wouldn't, we would talk about Game One. So let's do this. Yeah, not that this yeah. is the equivalent of the World Series. It is not as cool. Um, <laughs> still pretty cool, but you know, <laughs> right. That's all. Um, so we had, uh, let's see, we got Chris Wilson, who's from Montgomery, Texas, Chris with a K lead, Chris with a K leading day one, sacked up 27 pounds, 10 ounces of straight hogs. Yeah, baby. <laughs> and, um, he's kind of, uh, Wilson apparently is like dialed in on, uh, 
some pretty specific stuff, but also spent a lot of time before the tournament, like planning for this event in that he looked at weather forecasts for like weeks prior slash leading up to the tournament and uh, studied a lot of like Google Maps and stuff for specific little uh, pre-spawn spawning kind of areas. I think basically what he's getting at is he's targeting spawning fish and pre-spawn fish, but he's looking for areas that those fish that might have been up to spawn last week when the the weather was warm and the uh, I believe there was a full moon a couple of days earlier this week um, yep. that I think had a pretty good wave of fish going up. Well, he wanted to find areas that those fish would retreat to, and that's kind of what he did uh, on day one. We'll see how that pans out today, but got him 27 pounds, 10 ounces, and a pretty good lead. He's got a two-pound lead over Ricky Guy, who has 25 pounds, 8 ounces. I'll just run through the top five. Why not? Uh, third place is Rayburn Stick, Chris McCall. Uh, he's got 24 pounds, 3 ounces. Fourth place currently is Corey Rambo, uh, 23 pounds, 9 ounces. And uh, fifth place is Jerry DeBose with 22 pounds. Now, interesting note, if we go down to the top 10 uh, as of day one, you got 19 pounds, 10 ounces is 10th place. So Rayburn's fishing pretty good right now, if you look at it that way. And also, Denny Brower is in the top 10. Uh, he's in ninth. And Tommy Martin uh, is in 10th. So, pretty good line of dudes up there. Heck yeah, yeah. Uh, what? How do you? So we don't have the opportunity to do this very often, but I think it might be something we should try and take advantage of more. Maybe I, I'm not opposed to it, man. It's kind of uh, cool, especially maybe during tour events. I'm kind of. I know it's super busy, but I'm kind of liking the idea of a midday of a mid tournament. You and I Ooh. sit down and talk tour. Yeah, action. I could get behind that. Um, so do you think, uh, you think Chris Wilson here can hold on? I mean, obviously neither you or I are down there. If we were, we would have talked to him more. We'd have a much better feel on this. We're just reading FLWfishing.com, the home for all fishing fans and a, uh, great source of information in this case. Absolutely. Uh, I think, I I don't know. It seems, uh, from, from reading the story and, um, some other little notes because I'm, I'm so we have Dave Brown covering this event, but I'm editing his stories and stuff. So uh, a few of the other notes Dave had in there, um, it I don't know, man. He seems pretty dialed in. Like he definitely spent his time uh, planning for this tournament, which I think is huge this time of year. Like you know, what do we call this? Like early spring on Rayburn. Yeah. Um, I think it's huge to be able to move with those fish. And adjust um, like he's kind of had to do. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, man. 27 pounds, 10, ounce, That's 10 ounces. Also, pretty good lead out. So, I mean, even if he has, you know, like a 13, 15 pound day, something like that, uh, I think he'll still be in the top 10. Um, but I don't know. I, I feel like he's got a pretty good, pretty good hone in on the situation. You know what I mean? All right. I loved uh, David Brown's lead on this one. Understandably tight-lipped and sporting the coy grin of a man who found the mother load, Wilson was able to shed a little <laughs> light on his exceptional day. And yes. I was, I read that and I was like, oh, yeah. Because you've seen mm-hmm. that grin before. You Absolutely. know when a guy is feeling it. And I thought Absolutely. that was a good way to put it. So we'll see. It's yep, a good sentence. I like that. 
yeah, that was that was good. Um, yeah, I, I I guess I'm not. I don't know. I I don't know really anything about Chris Wilson, so I shouldn't say. Oh well, he's not going to do it because he probably absolutely could. And it seems like he's got kind of a multi. He's kind of got two things going on too, which I like: the ability to catch some spawning fish and some pre-spawn fish. Uh, I, I guess we'll see. I. I'm really looking forward to this today's weigh-in. I didn't get to watch yesterday. I'm going to watch today, and I'm looking forward to seeing you know where he ends up. Because I don't, I doubt he can duplicate 27.10. But then again, I said the same thing about Bradley Hallman, and he went out <laughs> right. and caught the same weight basically two days in a row. So who knows? Um, yeah, it'll it'll be interesting. But there's definitely at the same time there's a lot of really really good anglers, uh, not that far out of it. That today if they have a pretty big bag could you know throw their hat in the mix on the final day yeah and even on the final day some of these guys could throw their hat in the mix because it's sam rayburn and you can catch 30 pounds there yeah so stuff could happen absolutely basically where we're at um on the uh, costa challenge front for that you and i did pick a team and some of them are doing pretty well so far some of them are doing really badly uh today is the other day just so people know it was it was before the event started Yes, we uh, picked via email the other day. Uh, Kyle went first. He took Todd Castledine, Dickie Newberry, and Chris McCall. I uh, picked second. I took Ray Hanselman with the second overall pick. Ray Hanselman, who's won the last four FLW Series events he's entered, was available with the second overall pick. Uh, no big deal. Steven Johnston and uh, Rich Dalby. Uh, Rich Dalby, so far, not really holding up his end of the bargain. Um <laughs> And I think Rich will probably listen to this, so I'm sorry, Rich. I do love you, uh, but uh, I just I loved how you put it. <laughs> I mean, it it could have it could be. I saw that picture in the preview article. I was like, oh man, that's a big one. I better pick Rich. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we got a we got an interesting mix of guys going on there. Like I think Newberry had a pretty tough day, and Castledine did like all right, and obviously Chris McCall's in the top ten and. Hanselman was like 15th or something. So, you know, plenty of room to move around, I would say, going into day, going into the final, going into the day two weigh-in. Yeah. Um, and we'll probably have an answer on who wins this and whether you go 3-0 and or I can narrow the gap a little bit uh, within a few hours and before you guys actually listen to, listen to this. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. One thing I wanted to mention is really big field for this event. Uh, the Southwestern Division, as some of you uh, probably know, it, there it's a new, new-ish division. It's kind of like the Texas Division was just sort of expanded out a little bit. Uh, they changed the name. They're going to Oklahoma a couple of times, I think. You know, basically, yep. it's hey, let's get some more fishermen in here, and it worked because uh, last year the Texas Division, I think, at the first, granted. It was on Amistad, which wasn't fishing really well, and I know a lot of people weren't really jacked about it, but I think the first one had, I don't know, um, a couple, had like 120 guys in it, and we had like 102 guys in this one, I think, Uh, or 102 anglers, not necessarily all dudes, which is a great start, and uh, Grand Lake and Fort Gibson, I imagine, will have really nice big fields as well. Uh, I am stoked to cover the Grand Lake event because the water, there's a very good chance the water is up in that one, maybe a little bush action. 
uh, definitely oh, yeah. a little Bradley Hallman action, and uh, I'm pretty uh, I'm pretty jacked up about that one. Mm-hmm. So we'll uh, we'll see. And a next FLW series event after this one, obviously, we'll have a winner. We'll discuss it all next week. Uh, we've got a layoff, and then uh, the week after that, the uh, Southeastern Division heads to Santee Cooper. Yes. Um. Any more series stuff you feel like we should hit, or have we kind of hit it all? Um, I think uh, I think we hit it all. All right. Let me go ahead. Let me mention Circuit Breaker. The Potomac River episode is out. You should watch it. Obviously, it's not the last one because, well, if you're listening to this podcast, you know that Mark Daniels Jr. made the Forestwood Cup. Some people who just watch Circuit Breaker don't. This is like news to them. Which is, which is insane. It's stunning to me that some people do go through life like that, but it works. If it's your deal, it's your deal. Um, yep. Uh, but anyhow, you get to watch uh, Mark Nailers Jr. clinch the cup. You get to see some really nice video of birds, and or clinch, not the cup, but clinch qualification for the cup. I was gonna, I was going to see where you're going with that. <laughs> yeah, I backtracked. <laughs> um, and... Uh, I guess, uh, so, what are your thoughts on the episode? You have, I watched it about half with my attention once. What's, uh, what's the scoop? Uh, the Potomac episode, it's a, it's a pretty cool episode. It's probably one of the shorter ones so far this year, because, uh, Mark didn't have, you know, quite the best finish. I think it was actually his worst finish of 2015. But uh, it's cool. You get to see uh, and it doesn't his family really delve super deep into some aspect of his private life, right? Oh, those families it, there, which is cool. Yeah, his family is there, so you get to see Mark with his kids and his his girlfriend, and you get uh, I don't know. You kind of get to see him down in the dumps, which is kind of cool because we haven't really seen that this year. Um, not that I like seeing Mark Daniels down in the dumps, but uh, it's just another you know inside look on that. What Mark, it's like to be a Mark professional Daniels anchor. Junior hater Kyle Wood. <laughs> His favorite nope. thing is when Mark Daniels Junior is sad. I'm just gonna remember Mark. that. Note that. <laughs> Mark, if you're listening, don't don't hate me. It's not what I mean. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I thought it was I thought it was a kind of cool episode from that that aspect for sure. Um, it was neat to see his family. I liked that. Um, mm-hmm. His kids are. Especially Mark Jr., but I think both of them are uh, kind of turned into sticks, from what I can tell. Because they go out on, oh, yeah. I think it's Lake Mitchell, or Martin, or something, some lake with an M, I think it is, that's got a bunch of spotted bass near where they live in Alabama, and uh, yep. they catch the fire out of them. So, well, doesn't look surprise. out. It's interesting, though, that, so he's raised, I assume, around the Delta. He's, like, born and bred, flipping, doing big stuff, catching big bass. And he's got to raise his kids up on spotted bass. That must hurt his heart, right? Probably a little bit, yeah. It's like, yeah, go on out. These spots are fun. Here, use a spinning rod. That'll be great. <laughs> Here, have some six-pound test, some four-pound test. Um, and he's like, you know, when I was this age, well, I don't know his whole life story, but, like, come on, he's from the Delta. That's what he, that's mm-hmm. what he loves. Yeah. Also... The story about him zeroing at Shasta, I do not believe it. I do not believe it is possible oh, yeah. to zero at Shasta. That's that's why it's so incredible. 
it's I'm telling you, it's got to be a lie. It he could not have zeroed there. It's I'm, dude. You could, I mean, anyone could catch a fish there. I think it's it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, that's it's, why it's so gosh. so unreal. Anyhow, a, guys, watch the episode. See, it's an action packed. Oh yeah, and if you want to see uh, me be your role expands a lot Kyle. in this episode. Hmm? Your role expands a lot in this episode. Yeah, sometimes I, I got to put the weight of the team on my shoulders, and uh, that's what I did. Yeah, <laughs> I, I would say uh, my sister, who uh, knows oh, yeah. you're the don't, most boring part of Circuit Breaker, don't I don't think she would one. like this episode very much. <laughs> I don't know how she could watch my part and be like, oh, he's super boring. Yeah, but whatever. Know. You know what? I'm still I'm going to be mad about this uh, till I'm not doing Circuit Breaker anymore. And even then, it's still probably going to bother me. I'm going to take it to my grave and be like, I just don't know why Jody's sister thought it was boring. Well, what are you going to do? Um, anyhow, watch that. And also, Kyle, we got a BFL action to, uh, to get into. Yeah, we did. We had one BFL this past weekend. And uh, it was a Savannah River Division event uh, held on Clarks Hill Lake. And Charles Story of Evans, Georgia, won that one with a whopping 25 pounds, 4 ounces. Gosh, golly, so he whiz. Kind of crushed it, yeah. Um, he basically was fishing, uh, it was like staging fish, like pre-spawn fish. Uh, pretty tight-lipped about the crankbaits he was throwing, but he did say he was catching them on a rattle trap. I don't know if he just said that to say that or if he actually did catch them on a rattle trap, but either way. Crankbait bite, pre-spawn bass, uh, just fishing certain stretches of bank that they were hanging out on, sacked up 25-4, and won like over, I think it was like 6200 bucks, which is pretty sweet for a day of fishing. Yeah, because he had the Ranger Cup. Um, he's got like a kind of yeah. old school looking Ranger hat, which I kind of love. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, gosh, that's a lot of fish to catch. Heck yeah. So he crushed him. He did. But other than that, we have two BFLs coming up this weekend. Uh, we have one event on Lake Norman. Uh, I think that's probably a North Carolina division event. I hope Brian Thrift on, fishes it. Oh, well, I wonder if he will. I bet he does. Maybe not. Probably. And then we have a Bulldog, uh, Bulldog division event on Lake Lanier. So... Could be two kind of cool looking uh, tournaments this weekend, on top of the Coast FLW series. All right, I like it. Um, that's it. That's it for BFL stuff. That's that's the whole the whole ballpark there. That's it. Okay. Well, we've got Hartwell Hartwell chatter. That's the next thing on our list. Yes, I had Hartwell chatter in mind. And I was gonna bring some things up, and I kind of have. I, I I'm kind of out. I will say a ton of people are practicing for it. So many people are practicing for it. It's, I w- I'm really surprised at how many guys are head are go- are practicing for Hartwell because it's kind of a well known lake to us. We've been there a few times before. Um, we fished it at both low and high water and then sort of low slash regular water levels. So mm-hmm. 
you would think a lot of people would be familiar with what to do in those circumstances. Um, it's surprising to me. There's a lot of tournament history on the lake. It's surprising to me that so many guys are headed down there to pre-practice. I guess... I guess people think it's going to be... A pre- I'm guessing a lot of guys think it'll be a particularly productive pre-practice. Because there are a lot of guys who are just seeing it for the first time. And that makes sense to right. do it. But like Wesley Strader is down there. And, you know, Matt Airy and Jacob Wheeler went down there. And it doesn't seem like, to me, that those are guys who would need to go there. Yeah, it is kind of strange. And that must, in my mind, that means that a lot of guys are really going to try and capitalize on the jig bite, the brush bite, the deep bite, and really believe they can put a lot of time in the, on the time in ahead of time to shorten mm-hmm. the learning curve in the tournament. While I kind of think this might turn out to be kind of a shallow tournament, and that's a that in my mind is an event that is less important to pre-practice for, it seems to me that a lot of guys might be thinking the other way. Am I, am I crazy on that? No, I think you're right. I think I think a lot of guys are definitely trying to use time just to idle stuff, like whether they find even like you know where maybe some areas that fish are schooling up in and and some structure around there that those schoolers might kind of relate to when not schooling, but I think definitely the brush pile thing uh, would be something I would expect a lot of those dudes are just dropping waypoints and, you know, not really not really trying to catch anything, just trying to look with their graph. Yeah. I think also the uh, Hartwell, the herring in Hartwell have been increasing in number year over year, uh, from what I yeah. understand. And yeah. blueback herring, as many know, they're a very difficult bait fish to pattern and figure out and learn how the bass are relating to them. So I'm going to be, I'm interested to see, I think some guys might be sort of taking this as an opportunity to go and try and learn blueback herring Mm -hmm. and try and figure out if, is this going to be a player in the event? Because some guys got beat pretty pretty bad by blueback herring at Smith Lake last year because they played, Oh yeah, they were a big role. And I think it might that might be another reason so many guys are going down and practicing ahead of time, is that mm-hmm. I could see that they they're they've decided that this is something you need to watch out for and something they want to prepare for. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I guess that'll that'll probably do it for our Hartwell chatter. We're a good ways off. Um, we'll definitely talk fantasy fishing uh, probably next week and the week after. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to finish putting together my fantasy fishing team. It'll happen eventually. I think I'm ready to actually make decisions on it today or tomorrow, and I'll finally go and plug it in and have some... I think I've plugged it in, but I'll plug in a finalized version. Um, and uh, we'll see what we got. Uh, Kyle, do you want to uh, decipher uh, the email action here? Sure. I guess, uh, really, you know, uh, there there's one theme to this, so we'll, we'll just kind of get into that. It'll be a good little talking point, but... Uh, our email MVP, Mark Blackstead, uh, sent us an email uh, the other week, last week. Uh, and basically, uh, really where it went is we were talking about, um, like, we were talking about flipping a little bit, weren't we? I can't remember how it came about. It was a while ago. Anyway, the point of the email is uh, Mark was talking about the snell knot and, you know, whether. Should you snell when you flip? Should you use a Palomar? I think we covered that a little bit. 
Um, and we kind of went back and forth. I exchanged some emails with him. And uh, really what we came to is uh, he seems like he's more into the Snell knot for, uh, for flipping. We mentioned Josh Douglas. Well, he had a video uh, that came out. I think it was like a, I don't know, Wired to Fish shared it or something like that. I emailed Mark that video and, uh, you know, talked about Snelling your weight. He likes it shallow water flipping situations. And uh, Mark brought up a good point that a lot of the stuff he flips, uh, especially here in Minnesota, um, is, you know, you can you can flip deeper milfoil, like, you know, six to ten feet, sometimes even a little deeper. Uh, so he and he his hookup ratio hadn't been that good with it. So he was wondering what the deal was. Um, and Mark had an interesting note in an email to me. He is thinking about now that if he snells a hook, so Jody, feel free to jump in uh, as you follow me along here, but if he snells a hook and, you know, he changes, like, in that Holman video when we were talking, uh, you know, he was talking about how to set the hook properly, you know, not, like, dropping your rod tip and just trying to rip their face off, mm-hmm. but leaning into him. Uh, Mark's now looking kind of maybe for a more of a parabolic flipping stick, and he was wondering uh, if there are any considerations uh, any recommendations we could give to him uh, for purchasing? Okay, well, I don't necessarily know if the iRod fiber bubs punching whatever it is qualifies as a parabolic rod. I would say mm-hmm. it's a little more parabolic than not. What I will say is this: I love that rod. Okay. Um, so that's a consideration. The Halo ones are all parabolic. I was going to say the halos, I, I've flipped You've with... You've got uh, one of my halos. Do you like it? I do. I, I have that 7.6. Yeah. And uh, it it's a good rod, like, for flipping, not so much, but I have, uh, I, I actually have uh, fluorocarbon on it and, like, a big jig, so I don't really, like, punch with it. I'll throw it around, like, a dock or, you know, lay down pads, like, in that. And I think it's, I think it's sweet. But I have used the 7.11 uh, heavy, so like their actual flipping stick that like Tharp used and, and JT Kenny. Uh, that rod's pretty legit. And then I've also used the Kistler, the Mark Daniels rod, the MAD flipping rod, the 711. And that thing is real legit. If you're looking for like that parabolic rod, um, I've flipped with it a bunch last year, snelled my hook, had a ounce sinker on it most of the time, and never had a problem not hooking up to a fish. And if it was, it was because they were biting it weird. But that's that Halo and that Kistler were two rods that when you get bit, you can basically almost like just kind of start reeling and pull back a little bit and had them pegged every time. So that's all I got for, for recommendations there. Um, and I, that fiber rod, I kind of want to, I think I got to get my hands on one of those. Okay, this is the Genesis 2, not the fiber um, that oh, I'm talking about. S- oh, the Genesis 2. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know that how many models they make the fiber out, of, out in. The, my, the fiber would certainly be I a I thought more, it was only like four. Yeah, it would certainly be a more parabolic bend. I'm not sure that you can get the fiber in a flipping stick. Um, okay. I, I would probably even then not recommend the fiber for the flipping stick. I would probably spend the extra money and just get the... Because the Genesis 2 is quite a bit lighter and crisper, and you'll notice sure, that. Sure. Um, so I think that would be that would be a good way to go. 
And I, I I'm like not it. really necessarily a super Irod expert, but I do like him a lot. Um, okay. If somebody wants to pay me to say this, I w- that I'll accept it. But nobody's paying me <laughs> at this point in time. So as not a side yet. note, um, yeah, I, I, I don't. It's can be. It's probably kind of tough to look for a rod that's like hey, this one. Some of them will advertise that they have a parabolic bend, but not every rod will say that. You know what I mean? There might be rods right, that exist right. that don't have that that have that, but don't say it, or vice versa. Uh, but yeah, that's that's an interesting conundrum. I don't flip enough anymore because I don't have any places to flip. So yeah, you're kind of you're out of the loop there. Uh, yeah. I tell you what, Mark. What you need to do since it's you know, almost March here in Minnesota. Um, you know, can't bass fish. You might as well just jump on your computer, go on Tackle Warehouse, order up like a couple, three, four flipping sticks that look good, and then uh, just give them all a try. And send the ones back you don't like? Is that really, does it work that way? Eh. I don't know. I was just going to say keep them <laughs> and Here's the thing. figure out something three to do. Three or four them. flipping sticks seems like kind of a lot. Hey, you could like. Uh, I don't know if if you don't really like one, you could probably use it to like throw a Carolina rig deep around here. You could use one as like a jig rod. You could, I don't know. You could musky fish. Worst case, you nah. know, take up musky fishing. <laughs> nah, I don't. Uh, <laughs> I will. Uh, I'll leave you to that. Um, I I think we were gonna banter at this point in time. We were gonna uh, probably talk a little talk a little bit about California and stuff. And we may yet do that, but I think right now, I, I think we should wrap this thing up. We've got we got a weigh-in to watch here very shortly. Um, yeah. I got to post this thing. People got to, I mean, if you find listeners, probably have things to do with your life. Um, so I think we'll call it a day on that on this front. Um, Fine by me. Uh, Kyle, you can be found uh, on Instagram at Kyle Lumber. I can be found on Instagram at Jody Blanco on Snapchat at Jody, well, not at, it's just Jody Blanco Snaps. Um, let's see. We've got FLW Fishing on uh, Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Periscope, at, on YouTube, where you can watch Circuit Breaker. Um, and, of course, on Snapchat, it's FLW Official. Great place to be. we got an email if you want to interact with us, correct? We absolutely do. Mark knows it really well. Podcast at flwfishing.com. Send us your questions, comments, concerns. We'll address them. Sounds like a plan. Um, I miss anything? I think you got it, man. Uh, you know what I didn't say? I didn't say flwfishing.com. It's a great place oh. to be. Go there. Check it out. The only place to be. Yeah. I've almost finished cutlining all of the photos from the Coast FLW Series event at Shasta. So making wow. progress there. <laughs> You're crushing it. <laughs> so we got that, Kyle. Great to talk to you, to you again. It's been too long. I look forward to next week. As always, man. See ya. <laughs>